0: Have you ever wondered why, um, when you try to describe your faith, your love for Jesus, why you go to church all the time, why you come on a Saturday night and pack things up and you volunteer? And we have some volunteers here in the band that played at the women's conference all day yesterday, played last night, played, are playing this morning. I mean, the whole week, and they've given to it, and they didn't just show up and play. They had to learn the songs. They had to prepare for that. So there's a lot of, uh, see, you know. So you try to explain that to people and say, "This is what I'm doing." They go, "I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me." I mean, I, I get that there's God and Jesus and all that stuff, but you're you're just kind of overboard. I, and you try to explain it to your friends, your family members, people you care about, you, people you work with, and they just don't seem to get it. They just they they they, they think it's good for you, but I, I just don't understand that. It's like it just. Doesn't make sense to them, and I was thinking about that as I was preparing this weekend. We're in the book of Ephesians this weekend, and um, when when I went out for my mom's uh, funeral uh, for the memorial service and for the you know to be be with the family for the first time, I I took my laptop and I watched a movie on the plane, which I had never done before. And I watched, uh, and again, I'm going to mention the movie, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. I don't really, and I don't really care about that. It'll serve as an illustration. It was uh, the Brad Pitt movie, World War Z. And in that movie, um, there was a bad part in it where the plane was going down, and I'm thinking, this shouldn't be a good movie to watch while you're (laughs) on a plane with a plane going down. But... uh, uh, (laughs) I had to take my headphones off. Is everything all right here? But but anyways, uh, so I'm I'm watching this movie and and it's a zombie movie. Okay, basically everyone in, and it's no there's no spoilers. But everybody in the just about everybody in the world is infected by this, this zombie virus and everybody turns into a zombie and they have uh, they just they go crazy and they they just like killing people and spreading and it's very violent and 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 they have they apparently have superhuman strength that when they become zombies and uh, Apparently, they have really bad teeth. It just rots their teeth terribly. So I I don't know what that's all about. But the bottom line is, they're they're zombies. And I was reading through Ephesians chapter 2. And I said, that's it. That's what Paul's describing here. He's saying, before Jesus, you were a spiritual zombie. That's what he was saying. I mean, seriously, that's what he was saying. And so I was thinking about that. And, and so the passage we want to look at is... So, so the, the idea that I want to look at this weekend is this, is that only the gospel of grace can awaken our spiritual deadness. Uh, now, I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 1. And, and, and before I do that, let me just give you a little background because I try to do that a little bit with each book we go through Paul spent about three years in Ephesus. This was a, this was a very well-educated church. They, they had Paul. I mean, they had Paul preaching. They had good preaching and uh, teaching. And uh, Ephesus was the capital of the Roman, Roman province of uh, Asia. Uh, it was a mature church, but it faced a lot of challenges. Now, the other thing that Paul does, very interestingly... Um, when you read through a lot of his letters, especially his Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and some of those other letters that he wrote, he does something that's very interesting. In the first part of the book, he uses the indicative mood. The indicative mood is just descriptive. It, it, it basically is uh, what, what Paul is doing there is he's telling us what to believe. He's laying out beliefs. He's, he's, he's encouraging them, instructing them, and giving them instruction, Okay. So in, in Ephesians, in the first three chapters, he uses mostly the indicative mood. Hardly any of the imperative. The imperative mood, though, he uses, he uses a lot of the imperative in chapters 4 through 6. Now, he, this is what he does in a lot of those letters. So in the first part of the letter, he's instructing, he's, te- he's uh, teaching, he's doing all that. But then in the last part of the letters, he's telling them, now go do it. It's kind of like, you know, the, the indicative is... Uh, when you, you describe to your son, well, how was your day? What was going on? You have a conversation. The imperative is stop doing that. Don't do that. Quit pulling your sister's hair. You know, that's, you're, you're, you're encouraging, you're challenging, and you're, you're telling them to either start doing something or stop doing something. So that's kind of what Paul does in, in, in Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 2, and I want to start reading a verse 1, because what, in verse 2, uh, One of chapter 2, he talks about the power, the hold that sin had on us. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So what Paul is saying here is, this is what we used to be before Jesus Christ. Before we came to know Jesus Christ, uh, we were all, number one, spiritually dead. Now, pa- Paul's saying something that's pretty remarkable here. He's saying that we can be physically alive, we can be mentally sharp and acute, and we can be spiritually Dead. Let me say that one more time because it's really important to hear that. He's saying you could be physically alive, you could be mentally sharp, you could be intelligent, you could be thoughtful and all that, but you can be spiritually dead at the same time. And, 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 and so that's where I, I, that's where I get to the point where I think of... So in other words, what Paul's saying is that this means that people can, who are created by God for the purpose to live for God can live without God. Why? Because they're spiritually dead. Because they're spiritual zombies. What's a zombie? A zombie is a a dead person, a physically dead person, who's walking. You know I mean? they're, They're not alive. They're dead. Well, Paul's basically saying here, you used to be spiritual zombies. You used to be spiritually dead. Have you ever wondered why sometimes when you're trying to explain the gospel, you're trying to help them understand, and they just don't see it, they just don't get it, and you go, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand it? It's because they're dead to it. They're dead to it. And he says, not only were we spiritually dead, but we were enslaved. And he, he talks about three things that enslaved us. The first one is this uh, pop culture, this world we live in. And, and the world we live in is like, a think of it as a river. Think of it being in a, in a, in a caught in a current of a stream. And, and basically, it's not a good or bad thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be. But in our culture, the stream tends to be not going towards God. It tends to be going away from God. It doesn't seem, seem to be glorifying God. It tends to be the pop culture, our value system. Um, it's changing. Uh, we, we have a number of, of things within the streams. That, uh, within this stream, uh, like we have this, this idea of naturalism that says there is no supernatural. There's only the physical world. Materialism, that, 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 that only this physical world exists and there is no supernatural world. There is no God. There, there, all, that you can, all that there is is what you can sense with your sight your sound your touch you know those type of things or uh, racism uh, we, we, we we live in, listen, that's coming out all the time now. Should we use the N-word? You know, what's this bullying and all this stuff? And, and, and it comes down to this whole racism. My race is better than your race. Or sexism. My being a man is better than being a woman. Being a woman is better than being a man. And we have all that. And so we have all that going on. And, and it's hard, it's almost impossible to live in the stream and not be affected by the stream. And so, Paul basically says, not only are we spiritually dead, but we live in this stream, we live in this world that, that affects us, that, that molds us, that shapes us. And then not only that, there is a master over this unseen world. There's a master, and his desire is to be our ruler and king. Um, he turns our appetites, sometimes good appetites. Uh, but he, he is, he, the, you know, the devil is, some people say, well, the devil is a power or something like that. The devil is a person. The devil is a person. And by the way, the devil probably has better theology than I do or anyone in this room. He understands. He, he believes that Jesus died and rose from the dead. He, he understands the atonement. He understands the intricacies of, 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 of Scripture and theology. But here's the difference. He's opposed. is opposed to God. He's opposed to God. He understands what the plan is, but he's opposed to it. And his goal is to take god's plan and thwart it his plan is to take god's children and to shove their face in the mud in front of god and mock him that that's what he he wants to do that's what he wants to do and some of you some of you y- you have allowed the devil to get a hold of your life and he's shoving your face you're living in, you're living along the values of this world you're allowing the devil to shove you down and you feel guilty and you feel bad and you say god will never accept me and you've fallen into the the, the devil's lie because what does the devil want you to do? He wants you to live defeated. He wants you to live discouraged. He wants you to just to, to, to feel like, oh, I'm not worthy. Well, you're not worthy. Get over it. And that's why Jesus had to come. And, and so there's a point where that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to keep you powerless. He wants to find that one niche in your armor. And he wants to go at that. And he wants to exploit that. So you'll be a failure. That's what he wants. So not only do we live in this culture that's bad, but we have an enemy that is, has, has minions and others that want to keep us down. But number three, we have inner passions. Inner passions. You know, many of the desires, the desires that God gives us are good. The desire to, to hunger for something, for food, is, is not a bad thing. But gluttony is, right? The, the desire to... Um, to, to need sleep is a good desire. I mean some of us need to get more sleep Some of us could use a little less, you know, but but, but it, you know if you if, if there's too much sleep It becomes laziness or the desire for sex is not a bad thing But it can be turned into a bad thing called lust and jesus talked about that In other words, our natural desires can be perverted to the point they become over desires or they become sinful desires and, and that's what we, we have within us. So Paul is saying that we're enslaved from within and without. We have the outside pull of the culture, but we have an inside pull of our flesh, our sinful nature. And Paul basically says we were trapped. We were, we are, we were uh, kept slaves. So he's saying this. We have these three forces working against us. We have our pop culture. We have, uh, which is against God. We have an enemy who seeks to destroy us, and we have an inner nature that moves us away from God. So not, not only were we dead, but we have these forces that are keeping us trapped. And then number three, the result of that is we're all condemned. Paul says that we are subject to God's anger. Uh, now, some people struggle with that, and they say, well, you know, I, I don't like listening. I don't like hearing about the wrath of God. That, 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 that's not encouraging to me. I don't like to hear about the wrath of God. The anger of God. That I, I just want to think of God as love. And I just want to say to you, anger is not a bad thing. In fact, the Bible tells us, it not just tells us, it commands us, that there are sometimes we ought to be angry. In, in fact, the Scripture says, be angry. That's a command. That's imperative. But do not sin. So there are some things that we ought to be angry about. Let, let, let me, let, let's, let's, let's see how that plays out. If you have a son or a daughter, somebody that's really important to you, a family member, and they're destroying their life, that ought to make you angry. That ought to make you sick to your stomach. That ought to just, that, and if you know somebody's abusing somebody else, that ought to make you angry. You shouldn't just walk away and say, oh, I don't care, whatever. You know, not caring, not, not caring about something just shows that you don't love that person or you don't care about that person. The reason that you care, the reason you're, the reason you're angry is because you care. And so God cares. God cares very greatly about His creation. And His creation is being uh, destroyed. And, and, and His, his create, creatures are being destroyed. And so He is angry with that. And He is going to judge sin. And, and that's just, that doesn't mean he's, he's wrathful and He's a terrible person. That just means that He cares. He loves. And when you care, when you love, you want to see justice. You want to see things set right. And that's ultimately what God has done. Now, the amazing thing about it is how He said it right was He didn't strike everyone dead. He struck His Son. Which is amazing. The wrath was poured out on Jesus, His Son. What I'm trying to say here is that we've all been affected by sin. We sin and we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. We don't naturally seek God and we can't cure it ourselves. We're spiritual dead. We're zombies. Now, this doesn't mean... That the people living next door to you, your your family members, people who maybe don't know Jesus, who are spiritually dead, are terrible people, they're awful people, they're dishonest people. No, that's not what it's saying. It's just they don't have a capacity and they don't have a desire to seek God. They don't understand it. It, It's like the wavelength is off, they're not connecting, it's not clear to them. They don't have the ability. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is this there are spiritual zombies that go to church. Spiritual zombies love their wives. They love their zombie wives, and their their wives love their zombie husbands. They walk their zombie dogs. (laughs) I don't know if they're zombie dogs. (laughs) Don't quote me on that one. But my point is this. My point is this. Paul is saying something really important, and maybe you never really understood this. He's saying that until God turns the heart, until the light goes on, until they're set free from their bondage, They're zombies. And they don't understand what you're talking about. Do you know people like that? You know, one of the most powerful things you could ever do is pray. Pray that God would turn their heart. Pray that God would bring the cure to their heart. Because that's the only way things are going to change. They're blinded to the truth. They're spiritually dead. Now, our world says this. Our world says the way that we fix the problem is that we educate. If we educate people, they become less racist. Or they become more loving. Well, that's not working. It doesn't seem like it. I think we're some of the most well-educated people ever. I mean, frankly, we're the most sensitive to that. And it's not working. Or the other, the other solution that we have is that we'll legislate. We'll, try, we'll legislate. We'll legislate that there won't be racism. We'll legislate that there won't be this, all this stuff going on. But you know what? The problem isn't an external problem. As we said before, it's an internal problem. The problem is until our heart changes, we're going to be racist. Until our heart changes, we're going to abuse ourselves and others. Until our heart changes, we're not going to pursue God. Until our heart cha- changes, God is not going to be king and ruler of our lives. And if God's not ruler of our lives, all bets are off on how we treat one another. Right? Here's the good news. It's amazing news. This is one of the incred- most incredible chapters in all of Scripture. Um, the freedom of, of God's grace. Look at verse 4. But God... You should underline or circle that word, but. You can add God too. You can underline the whole verse, I would. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, insert spiritual zombies, because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And then he says this, For he raised us, from the dead along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future uh, ages and examples of his incredible wealth, of his grace, and his kindness towards us, as shown in what he in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So that none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things, the good things he planned uh, for us long ago. Now, let me just say this. That but in verse 4, B-U-T, is one of the most important buts in all of Scripture. (laughs) You know, there's good buts and bad buts. I hope people hear the context of this because this is going to... But there are. There's good buts and there's bad buts. Here's, here's bad buts. I love you, but... Right? Or the doctor says, Okay, everything looks okay, but... Right? That's not a good but. I don't like... But this is a great but. <laughs> Understand that. <laughs> but God... You were dead. You were spiritual zombies. But God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive. That is fabulous. That is incredible. And you, some of you, I hope most of you, if not all of you, know what it is to be made alive. You were dead. You know, I talk to people all the time and say, you know, I went to church my whole life. I never heard this. And I would say, you absolutely heard it. You probably heard it over and over and over, but you were a spiritual zombie and you couldn't hear it. But now you can. Because He's opened your heart. He's opened your ears. He's opened your mind. You see it now. You're alive. You were dead. Now, you ought to meditate on that. You ought to reflect on that, because that's going to break your heart. That's going to change your soul. That's going to bring you to a point of saying, who am I to look at other people and say, I'm better than you. I, I know more than you. I, you. You just can't. You just say, I was a spiritual zombie, and I got, you know, he opened my heart. You know, he comes to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, you know so much, but you don't know the most important thing. You need to be born again. You're a spiritual zombie. You need to be born again for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life, He says to that. John 3.16, He says it to a religious man, Nicodemus, who knew everything about the Old Testament Scriptures, but he was spiritually dead. Chapter 4, he goes to the woman at the well. And the woman is the lowest part of society. And what does he say to her? Your biggest problem is that you are spiritually dead and you need living water to make you alive. That's what he's talking about. Paul says we were spiritually dead. Christ made us alive. Oh, he says more there. He says, and, and I don't understand how this works. He basically says that somehow, spiritually, we're connected with Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the point that we are now seated with Christ on his throne. That there's a some type of a union there. Paul says in Romans... In Romans uh, chapter 6, he says our baptism is a symbol of the union that we have with Christ. That as he rose, we will rise. But it says more than that, Paul's saying that we are united with him. There's this union that we have with Christ. Not we will have, but we have it right now. That when the Father looks at the Son, he sees us. When he sees us, he looks, he sees his Son. There's that union. In other words, and he says this, he says... He says something amazing. He says, this is one of the most magnificent displays of God's grace that through all eternity, God will point to this, this moment where God made us alive in Christ because of Christ. And, and, and it, it, it says in scriptures that angels love to look on these things. They're amazed by it. They're stunned by the grace. They're, they're awed by it. They're just, they, they can't get their, they can't wrap their brains around it. And, and, and he says, he says, that we are the supreme examples of his grace. <laughs> you know, if God has a refrigerator in heaven, your, your, your picture is on it. <laughs> Here's the second thing. And, and these, this is why this chapter is so important to me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. These were like the first verses I read when God basically turned the light on. I'll, I'll quote it to you from the King James Version. that I: For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. And for the first time in my r- life, I would realize that salvation wasn't what I was doing or what I could do or what I might do or what I tried to do. It was what Jesus did when he died on the cross for me. He gave his life. And Jesus said, it is finished. It is paid in full. Your, your sin is covered. And, and, and uh, so for the first time in my life, I realized it wasn't about me going to church or trying to be good or trying to live up to some expectation or trying to create some sort of a resume of righteousness that I could show to God. And God says, well, I know I sent my son, but this is incredible. <laughs> You're in. I mean, come on. What are you waiting for? No, that's never going to happen. The bottom line is that I needed a Savior because I was lost, I was spiritually dead, I was a zombie, and I had no way of connecting. And so God reached down with Jesus Christ, and Jesus raised his hands out and said, I love you this much, and he gave his life. These verses are so important to me because it was the first time in my life that I realized that I needed a savior, that I couldn't save myself. It wasn't enough just to believe in God or believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believed all that stuff. But I had never asked Jesus. He had given his life to me, but I had never given my life to him. And I did. And I would like to say that uh, things went off. That was 40 years ago. But I've grown more and more. I mean, I look at this passage today. I'm just amazed by it. I, I just, You know, I, I, I watched that movie and I saw those zombies running around. I'm going, that was me spiritually. I had no idea what I was doing. Now here's the last thing I want to say. I hope you saw this verse 10. Let me just read that verse to you one more time. You ought, listen, if you, don't, if you don't know this by now, If whatever you're reading, if you're using the old school or you have a new school Bible... This ought to be, like, you ought to have, like, five verses, like, underlined here, you know. But look at what he says here. Verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned long before. You know, I, I could spend a ser- series, a sermon, on, just on this verse. What he's telling you in this verse is so important. He is saying, you are not an accident that God had a plan and a purpose for your life, and it wasn't just so you could go to heaven. He had a plan and a purpose before the creation of the world for you. Now, you say, before the creation of the world, where do you get that? Jump over just, a, just back to chapter 1, verses 3. Let me read a couple of verses there. This, this is where you, you, you just get to the point where you read this and you go, okay, this is like I'm getting a popsicle headache. I don't understand this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Okay? That's not difficult so far. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Essentially, what that verse is saying is before the foundation of the world, before the world began, before man was created, God chose you. God had a plan and a purpose for you. We are His workmanship we are his masterpieces you are not an accident you are have not you're not we haven't it's not an evolutionary thing it's a it's a divine thing you are created in the image of god jesus christ gave his life for you you he has a purpose and a plan for every one of you you're not an accident i don't care how you were born who you were born to whether you know your parents or not god says you are his masterpiece and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And, 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 and so he says, you used to be dead. You used to be spiritually dead, but now you are alive. Not only are you alive, but you're my masterpiece. And all through the ages, I'm going to brag on you. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. If you don't walk out of the air with your head up, I don't know what to do. I really don't. My only question to you is this. Have you been set free? Have you ever called upon the Lord? There's a point where you have to say, yes, I want to join Jesus on this journey. I want to be part of this. He gave his life to me. Now I want to give my life to him. And have you done that? Because it's not a matter of just saying, well, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, well, so does the devil. (laughs) James says the devil believes in, in God. And guess what? He's not part of the plan in a sense of being one of God's followers or he's opposed to it so have you ever called upon Jesus now you could be a spiritual zombie you could walk out of here it'd be his masterpiece the interesting thing is the masterpiece isn't over he's kind of working every day on his masterpiece right So what are you today? One of the most powerful things you can pray for people who are spiritually dead is that God will make them alive. Because until God turns their hearts, nothing changes. Have you noticed that? But once God changes a heart, it's amazing what happens. We have stories and stories and stories about how God changes hearts. Maybe yours will be one of the stories in heaven that will be talked about. And we will marvel at the wonderful mercy and grace of God. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how amazing is your grace and mercy. How amazing that though we were dead in sin and caught in this world and under the power of the prince of this world, who has been given control for this time, And though we have a sinful nature within us, you have come and set us free. But God, who is rich in mercy, through his son Jesus, has set us free. He's made us alive. We were dead. We were zombies. But now we're alive. Thank you, Father. I pray that if there's anyone here who has never called upon the Lord, like Nicodemus or the woman at the well, today would be the day that they would call upon Jesus They would find life. They would understand who you are. They would join Jesus on this journey. And they would become the masterpiece that you planned long before creation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.